Hello and welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. This is our Belmont at Aqueduct preview show brought to us by our friends at Adelphi Racing. And from Adelphi Racing, we'll bring him in right away to start the show. We have Matt Kater. Matt, how are things, my man? I'm good, Pete. I'm good. I'm not uh, running around as much as you post Saratoga, so that's good for me. Um, I'm happy to be uh, to be back home downstate, and I'm actually excited to get out to Aqueduct uh, this week. It's uh, crazy how even though we got the week off, uh, it's kind of snuck back up on us, the, the racing here in New York. So we've got, uh, got a runner on Thursday, and uh, excited to see kind of what uh, the Belmont meet at the Big A is going to look like. Now, I saw how you and the Adelphi partners rolled up at Saratoga, and I was very impressed with your area in the uh, in the stretch boxes. And I, some of the most fun I had racing all summer was visiting you and the team and getting to meet some of the people in the extended Adelphi family. But it is true. You are not just limited to Saratoga. You guys uh, show up for uh, Belmont and Aqueduct as well. What's your typical situation hanging out at Aqueduct when you when you roll out there, which I understand is a pretty frequent occurrence? Yeah, I mean, look, I I love Aqueduct. Um, I'm probably one of the only people that would say that, but uh, but I do. Um, and I'd be lying if I said that we we get the same kind of crowd at uh, at Aqueduct and you know in the middle of January that we get at, at Saratoga. Okay. But um, we do have a lot of partners that like going out there. Um, you know, we typically hang at that Long Shots Bar and Simulcast um, spot on the second floor. Um, you know, which is uh, which is a good spot to hang. A lot of TVs, a lot of racing, and and sometimes other sports on as well. If it's the weekend, you know, with college football and NFL on Sundays and stuff like that, so it's a good place to hang. Um, you know, a little bit different than Saratoga, but still a lot of fun. Um, and I'm I'm excited to kind of see what they've got going there this year. Last year was a little bit haphazard because I don't know if you remember. I guess at the start of the meet, they weren't expecting fans because of the vaccination site being there, and then they kind of pivoted pretty quickly and had fans and. The whole setup at uh, at Long Shots and some of the other places there was a, was a little bit sort of haphazard. So I'm hoping that this year that uh, you know they've kind of got it pre-planned and uh, they're going to have a full bar open there and and a good place for people to hang out and have a good time. They did a yeah. good job though last year with the um, with the Horseman Lounge area uh, on that same floor and then you know taking the Equestrious Restaurant um, on the top floor and making that sort of a secondary horseman's lounge. So those were good places to hang and grab a quick bite too, but uh, should be fun. I'm excited to see kind of what, what this year is going to look like, especially now with the, uh, the expanded meet. Yes. I would assume that as the meet goes on with as long as they're going to be there, there's going to have to be some more horse player player slash horse people friendly options around and yeah we'll get a report at some point before too long from you on how it's getting set up there. Uh, this is unplanned, uh, but uh, you know, we, we've never done an aqueduct lifestyle show. We'll, we'll just throw in one question about it. Where are the places you like to go after the races uh, when you're racing at the Big A, maybe to celebrate an Adelphi Racing Club winner? Yeah, I mean, so so typically my my uh, my spots, you know, around Aqueduct are Mateo's for lunch before the races. Um, it's about five six minutes away. Really good Italian spot, um, and they're open for lunch. Uh, and then Dom Peps. Uh, post racing, if we uh, if we win, so I uh, don't have a, as many options or as many different places as Belmont and Saratoga, but uh, those are kind of my two go tos, and definitely recommend both of them. Good good Italian spots uh, and close by to to Aqueduct. Yeah, Don Pepe is certainly the absolute uh, the absolute classic for a couple of generations now. I'd say in terms of post Aqueduct the celebratory stuff, very very cool. Let's talk about this meet in general. Obviously, we've got all these big stakes races that normally happen at Belmont, these key 
Breeders Cup preps that are now going to be happening at uh, at the Big A. It's a little early. We're about three weeks out from the the first of the sort of key Breeders Cup prep stuff that's going to be happening there. But is there anything in particular you're you're looking forward to uh, at this Belmont at Aqueduct meet in terms of uh, Breeders Cup uh, prep stuff? Yeah, I mean, look, obviously that weekend of the first and second is going to be you know some really good action. Uh, my, it's my anniversary on the second, so it's always tough for me to try to finagle my way over there, but I'm, I'm sure I'll figure something out, um, <laughs> at least for Saturday. Um, but no, look, I think the Woodward obviously is, is the, the main race, you know, seeing life is good, um, you know, based on what flight line just did on the West coast, I think it'll be interesting to kind of see what, what he does and, you know, sort of how that tees things up for the Breeders' Cup, you know, like most other people, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that matchup. So I'm hoping that, uh, you know, he runs well, uh, on the 1st of October and, um, that they point them to the the classic as opposed to the mile. And, um, you know, it's kind of the, the, the next sort of last race step, at least to, to hopefully getting those two uh, hooked up for the, the Breeders' Cup, which would be, you know, kind of an awesome thing to see. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's going to be a situation where I'm rooting for him not just to win, but to win really impressively. So they don't get any ideas about the dirt mile. I feel like the prevailing sentiment even within the camp is that they really do want the classic to be the goal even after the flight line tour de force i know you know they're not a hundred percent committed and can you blame them after what we saw in the pacific classic but i think a really nice win a strong win in the woodward from life is good could lead them to making that decision to give us the showdown that we all want to that we all want to see there. So yeah, certainly I would say if I had to pick right now a race of the meet to look forward to, that would be uh, that would definitely be the one. Um, when you talk about uh, the affection that you have for for the Big A in general, what is it that you like about the place? You know, I just think it's it's a you know, and obviously this will be a little bit different because we're going there early this year. But um, you know, as as a, a New York based partnership and a partnership. Um, and, and, you know, prior to starting Adelphi myself as an owner in New York and someone who was very focused on the, the New York bread program, you know, this was kind of the, always the time of year that, uh, you know, that we had a little bit more of an edge, um, you know, than, than, than you do, you know, uh, during the, the, the summer meet when, uh, you know, you're competing with, uh, the, the really big, you know, Barnes, Todd and Chad and, all the, the the bigger folks from Kentucky coming in over the summer and things like that. And so, you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, have to kind of make hay of, uh, you know, of, of this meet typically, I think if you're a, you know, sort of a New York, you know, focused operation, you know, in, in sort of the, the realm of, of, uh, you know, where we're at. So that's, that's sort of first and foremost, I just, you know, kind of like, you know, the, the level of competition gives us a little bit more of an edge and, and we've had some success, uh, here and, um, you know, actually, I, you know, I, I've kind of always liked uh, going to Aqueduct um, more so even than than Belmont in recent years, because I do think that that uh, long shots uh, simulcast and bar setup area, at least prior to COVID, um, you know, was a better place to hang candidly than there, there really is. There's really no bars at Belmont. I think there's that one bar on the second floor that's really old and they haven't done much with for a while. Um, you know, they're, they're just a bit of a better setup, I think at, at Aqueduct, to be honest. And, you know, with the casino there in recent years, you know, the ability to kind of walk over and hang over there and do some stuff. And, you know, they, they built, uh, you know, some stuff up around that, you know, it, it, I don't know, it just, uh, just been a fun place to go and hang more so than Belmont for me in recent years. And, um, you know, again, a little bit easier competition race wise. And so, you know, that's always a good thing when you're trying to run and win races.
Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. And I think with the fall and the football also wanting to be on TV and baseball as well um, during a year like this, where we're going to have some October baseball in New York in the American and National League to be able to have the games on and, and easily watch that is a, is a huge is a huge selling point. And, and I, I think that Aqueduct does do a good job of that. And hopefully everything's going to be back and, and in effect this year. Why don't we do a little bit of an Adelphi stable tour, at least in terms of, you know, you mentioned your runner on Thursday. Some runners you're pretty confident are going to be appearing at this meet that folks maybe want to uh, make some notes about. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll be pretty active for the first couple of weeks of the meet. And then I think as we kind of go on, you know, that'll continue to be the case. Um, you know, I mentioned we, we have a starter on opening day. It's actually the first uh uh, I guess, uh, flat race of the meet, um, race number three, because the first two races are jumps races uh, on, on Thursday, which is kind of cool. Um, but we have a second-time starter named O'Donna running in one of those maiden auction races. Um, Irad Ortiz is aboard, um, and she's going seven furlongs on the dirt. Um, she ran really well, I thought, up at Saratoga um, for a Ray Handel first-time starter. Um, you know, she made a nice move around the turn to kind of uh, take a clear second. The winner was was not getting caught that race. The winner was kind of much the best. But, you know, Irod uh, kind of asked her around the turn. She made a nice move. Um, and then she just kind of flattened out in the lane and, and uh, faded and finished fourth. Um, but, you know, talking to sort of Irad after the race, he kind of made a comment that if he, if he didn't try to win that race, if he didn't, you know, kind of go after the winner as hard as he did around the turn and just saved her a bit, he thought, you know, he probably would have been able to get her second in that spot, you know, not catching the winner, but, but it would have been a, a second versus a fourth. And, you know, I'm, I'm totally cool with, you know, kind of the approach that he took trying to win the race. And, you know, I thought she made that nice move and just kind of got tired at the end and, you know, kind of going into the race, Ray thought, you know, she might need one. She was a little bit heavier than, you know, he'd like to see with a first time starter, but she had done everything the right way. And so we wanted to give her a run at Saratoga and, you know, kind of looking at the, the race that, the, they wrote for Thursday, you know, realistically, there's no reason why she can't, you know, improve second time and, and be really, really live in that spot. Um, I guess my only concern there would be that it's a seven for a long race. So it's a little bit longer. Um, you know, she's by Buchero, you know, so might be a, a tad distance limited um, just based on that. But, um, you know, physically, she's a bigger filly. So, you know, she looks like she could get the distance and she is definitely uh, you know, more fit second time out. So I'm, ex I'm excited about her. I think that, uh, you know, she should be very, very live and it's always good when uh, you get Irad on one of your horses. So I'm excited about that as well. She has one of my favorite angles in a maiden race, which is a horse that took money first out. And that's super interesting to hear physically that Ray wasn't thinking she was cranked because, you know, bet to five to one in that field that, that, that I'm going to call that catching some money. And then, well, she did have a good trip thereafter, didn't have a great break, you know, it was off slowly at least one length and then ends up chasing into this hot pace. I think she looks very, very live and you got to love the outside draw as well. I take that point, I suppose, about uh, about the seven furlongs, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's within her scope based on everything I'm hearing. So that's definitely one to think about. And, and we weren't meaning to give tips for opening day necessarily, but that's one for race three on uh, on Thursday, opening day for the Belmont at the Big A. What other horses do you have coming up this meet that you're excited about? Yeah, no. So we, we entered uh, certified lover boys, another two year old uh, maiden special type horse. We entered him uh, into one of the overnights for opening day. It didn't go, but they have a book race um, going long on the turf for two year old Colts uh, and geldings on the 25th of, uh, of September. Um, this will be his, his third start. He ran third 
uh, last time um, going shorter on the turf. We're going to stretch him out, um, you know, post that race. Dylan thought that, you know, a little bit more distance might help him. He's a horse that's been very, very impressive in the mornings. Um, and so if he, you know, sort of takes to going longer on the turf and, you know, just continues to move forward um, and, and just shows really, uh, you know, a hint of that ability that he's shown in the morning, in the afternoon, I think we've got a good shot there. And I would imagine he'd be an okay price in a spot like that. Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, you know, we've got, uh, another, uh, Philly who uh, is also going to be a third time starter. She's a three-year-old New York bred named funny how, um, that we're pointing to a race on the 24th of September. Um, you know, she ran once down at Belmont before Saratoga, um, finished third. Um, she wasn't, uh, fully cranked for that. We were kind of trying to get her fit and then, you know, planning to, to run her up in Saratoga, which we did. Um, you know, she had an issue with a lesion on her throat, uh, in the Saratoga race and kind of compromised her, but she still ran really hard and finished, uh, finished third in that spot. Um, Ray's got that, you know, cleared up nicely and she breezed, uh, yesterday, I believe, um, or the day before yesterday, actually. And, and, um, you know, she, she looks like she's going to be able to make that race. And, um, you know, we've always had high hopes for her. She's a half to funny guy and three jokers and a, a few other nice horses. And, uh, she's shown a lot of ability in the morning and, um, you know, I think she's got excuses in her two races, so no I'm excited to see her run um, on the 24th. Um, and then, uh, you know, outside of that, we've got another filly named Misspelled Moon, um, who ran uh, two really, really bang up races at Saratoga, a second lost by less than a head and uh, a third where she lost by about a head um, to the winner. It was kind of a blanket finish um, with a couple horses there. And um, she's got a, another starter allowance race on the 25th of September. Um, and she's just a cool filly to own. Um, you know, we didn't pay a ton of money for her at the Keeneland September sale a couple years ago. Um, you know, she's definitely turf and she's definitely a turf sprinter. She doesn't want to go, you know, very far, but she just fights hard every time. Um, and one of the good things, I guess, for us with this meet moving from Belmont to Aqueduct is on the turf from a sprinting perspective at Aqueduct, they can't go further than six furlongs. Whereas right. at Belmont, sometimes they'll write six and a half or seven furlong turf sprints. And, you know, this is a filly that, you know, six furlongs might be a, a tad long for, but, uh, you know, she does try really hard every time and, and uh, has some good tactical speed. And, you know, she's always kind of, I think, in it. Um, and so the fact that we get to go six furlongs at, at, at uh, the big A is helpful there for her. And, and she should hopefully run on the 25th um, in a starter allowance. So, you know, we've got some, some, you know, some definite bullets the first couple of weeks of the meet. And, um, we've got some other horses that I'm excited about as well. Um, community adjusted is probably the, 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 at the top of that list. She's a four-year-old, uh, Philly. Um, she was, uh, second last out in a second level allowance down at colonial. She was third at Saratoga in the same level race. Um, there's potentially a race for her on the 22nd. Um, at uh, Aqueduct, but uh, might be a bit quick back. So not sure if we're going to run there, but if we have to wait for the second book, we wait for the second book, but she's, um, you know, she's another one that's got, you know, uh, she's tactical and, and uh, she's definitely, you know, one that's very consistent. She's run a couple 80 buyers back to back. And um, I, I got to think that she can win that race at some point. So hopefully yeah. it's uh, at this meet. That's a bunch of runners that seem absolutely live to, to make their condition, whether it's the, the first, start of the meet or the second one i mean some really some really interesting threads to pull on looking at that that team of runners i noticed with funny how uh yeah that's a hell of a female family eight the dams dropped eight winners they've eight starters they've all won and you know you mentioned some of the higher profile siblings as well i gotta ask about the name the obviously goodfellas inspired name was that your idea 
No, I can't take credit for it. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the worst namer of, of racehorses there is. So luckily <laughs> I've got a partner, Jordan Zotz, who's one of the better uh, horse namer. I don't even know if that would be a phrase, horse namer. But uh, he's, he's one of the better at it. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously with this filly, uh, you know, she's in the same family as Funny Guy and Three Jokers. And the dam's name is Heavenly Humor. So, you know, I basically said, hey, Jordan, you know come up with something in that realm and uh you know he came up with funny how although we've we've joked about it um since then um you know this is a filly that's uh um she's she's never had any major issues but it took us till june of her three-year-old year to get her to the races because she's always had kind of little issues pop up here or there you know shins and stuff like that um but one of the the issues that popped up for her is she actually developed an abscess on her face um, and it was, you know, benign kind of thing, but, um, they were worried that it was the way it was growing, that it could impact her eyesight. So they had to go and do some surgery. So she actually has a scar, uh, down the side of her face. So uh, we, we've joked that maybe we should have named her after something related to Scarface versus Goodfellas, but, uh, I think the name's pretty good. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep it. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I want to talk to you about your new acquisitions. I know some of them are, are sold out, but you guys were very active at, the New York bread sale. And I think the, the arrogant cult, maybe not a surprise given the crazy success that arrogant's having that one sold out, but you've still got some shares left in the tonalist Philly and the hard spun cold. I was just curious to get an update. If I, first of all, am I right that there's still stuff available? And, and if you could tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, basically we have like one share left in the tonalist Philly and then uh, a share and a half in the hard spun. Um, you know, our partners have really responded well to, to the, the horses that we were able to acquire at the the New York bread sale. And I think, you know, just kind of looking at, um, you know, the, 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 the first day of the Keeneland sale, you see how, how uh, astronomically high the numbers are. I think, you know, buying at that New York bread sale, I think will prove to be, you know, a, a pretty good value play um, for this year's, you know, yearlings season. And, and obviously the New York bread program, you know, is, is great. And, and um, you know, something that we like to support and, and, you know, utilized to our advantage, as I mentioned before, um, you know, a lot. So we were able to get, you know, uh, three New York bred uh, yearlings at that sale up in Saratoga. You know, you mentioned the Arrogate Colt, um, you know, who's out of the family of Audible and Governor Malibu and a bunch of other horses, a lot of which were trained by Christoph Coman, who will train this one. Um, you know, the, the, the partners were really, really excited about that one. That one sold out really, really quick. And then, um, you know, kind of the theme with Christoph uh, and, and, and us at that sale this year was sort of familiarity, you know, the female family with that arrogate, uh, Colt and, uh, you know, with obviously the tonalist Philly, he's, he's trained, uh, you know, he, he trained tonalist. So, um, you know, he really liked that Philly at the sale. She's, um, nicely built, you know, very athletic, um, has some pedigree, uh, younger family, but, um, you know, stakes, uh, damn on the, on the female side and, um, you know, one that's thrown, you know, at least a, a couple of horses that um, have been able to run at the track, you know, nobody that's won a stake or anything like that yet, but, but that have, um, you know, had some success at the track and, you know, she's a, she's a very cool filly, you know, all class. And, um, you know, we're excited about her. We have a uh, one share left in her. And then um, we bought a hard spun Colt with uh, Ray handle. And um, you know, he's, he's just a really cool horse. I, I you know, I'd advise uh, anybody who's got an interest in him to, to go, um, to the, uh, phasing Tipton, uh, website, go to the cl- catalog and, um, you can pull up his walk video from, uh, from the sale. And he just, he just walks, he's just got an amazing walk. He's very, he's got a, a really good presence, really nice physical. 
Um, and you know, I love hard spun, um, have had a lot of success with hard spun Phillies. Um, this obviously is a cult, but, um, you know, just, just a very, very nice physical and very much the kind of horse that, uh, Ray Handel does, you know, really well with, you know, sort of a sprint miler type and, um, you know, just kind of has that big engine in the back and, uh, you know, looks like one that we could, we could have a lot of fun with. And obviously all three of these horses are New York bred. So you've got, you know, the New York bred program and, and all the benefits that go along with that, uh, at your disposal. Good stuff. Folks who are interested, what's the best way to reach out, Matt? Uh, you can go to our website, AdelphiRacing.com. Uh, you can email me directly, Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. That's Matt with two T's. Um, and, uh, or you can find us on social media and hit us there. And, uh, you know, happy to chat about it and uh, meet up at the Big A. I know it's not quite as big of a draw as uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of new partners and prospective partners up in Saratoga, you know, in the stretch and things like that. But, uh, you know, th- th- there's still some fun to be had at the Big A. And, um, you know, there's some, as we talked about before, some good places to hit food-wise and drink-wise, you know, before and after. So um, don't be shy there. would love to uh, to meet up and do that. I'm going to go on the record and say I will be joining you for uh, at least uh, one of the, the the days at Aqueduct this meet. It's been too long since I've been there. Again, had such fun with you and the team at Saratoga. And I should point out that in addition to obviously you guys being a clients of In The Money Media, th- that I'm also a, an owner and part of the club. And I've just been extremely impressed, Matt, with the way that you keep us, the partners, informed of everything going on, uh, videos, great information. I've learned so much about racing just from the the insights that you've shared about the horses that I'm a partner on. And, and I think other people who are in our uh, group of listeners would appreciate the experience very much. I say that uh, extremely sincerely. One last question before I let you get out of here. You obviously have a lot of familiarity with the condition books and looking for spots for these horses just from the way that you talk about them. But are you do you have help on the racing managing side or is that really part of your role as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of a team effort there, you know, from a, just a day-to-day race management standpoint. Um, our bloodstock agent, Joe Migliori, um, you know, wears a lot of hats in general. You know, he's also Trevor McCarthy's jocks agent. But, um, you know, with us beyond, you know, sort of doing bloodstock work for us at the sales and for our private purchases, um, you know, he, he does a great job of advising us on, you know, race spots and things like that, too. So, um, you know, he's involved, you know, obviously spend a lot of time on it myself. And then, you know, we're all always working with, you know, our trainers on that. Um, you know, it's, a, it's really a team effort. Um, and, you know, you got to get lucky with spots, you know, and, and stuff like that. But um, what I found is that if, if you're, you know, extra prepared, and you kind of know what's going on, um, you know, you can kind of roll with whatever comes your way, because, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times early on, and sort of in my ownership, uh, career in horse racing where, you know, you, you point to a race that's three weeks away in the book and then, you know, you enter the race and you find out that you and maybe one other horse are the only other are the only two horses trying to go in that spot. And very quickly that spot goes away and you got to find another one. And so, you know, I think what we do a good job of is kind of being prepared in advance, you know, and, and sort of knowing what plan B, C, D, et cetera is, um, and, and trying to find the right spot, uh, you know, for our horses. Um, you know, I mentioned a horse earlier, uh, community adjusted, you know, nice, you know, four-year-old filly for us. And, you know, the, the Clements did a phenomenal job last month, you know, after we ran in the race in Saratoga, you know, kind of finding a plan A, B, C, and D, 
um, between Saratoga and Colonial and Kentucky Downs. And, you know, we, we were able, I think, find a really good spot for her. She, she finished a nice second. We didn't get the win, but, um, you know, I think the work that they put in and, you know, kind of the, the thought process there, you know, really helped us to, to be at least put in a good spot to potentially win a race. So it's, it's definitely important and, you know, it's a team effort for sure. Is the Meadowlands, I know this is the Belmont at the Big A preview show, but is the Meadowlands meet, uh, turf meet coming up on your radar as well for some of your runners potentially? Yeah, no, we're, we're definitely going to look at that. Um, you know, the filly I mentioned before, Misspelled Moon, you know, she's a turf sprinter. And, um, you know, like I said, six furlongs is probably a little further than she even wants to go. Um, you know, we do get the benefit of just running the flat six at Aqueduct. So we are probably going to run her there um, in the starter. Um, but there is a potential that, um, you know, we could look at a first level allowance at the Meadowlands going shorter because they run five and five and a half furlongs. Um, on the turf there, which would definitely be to her liking, you know, her lone win and a main special weight was at, at, at Monmouth proper, um, going five and a half. And, and, you know, one of the main reasons we went there is because we wanted to go shorter versus longer at Belmont in the spring. Um, so we're definitely going to keep a, a keen eye on that. Um, you know, the negative for us with her is, you know, if we run at, uh, at Meadowlands and we get a win, um, we kind of blow two conditions because there, there isn't a starter for her there like there is at Belmont. Um, we'd have to run in the, the, the first level allowance race. So, um, you know, that that's that'll, it's a bit of a, you know, a give or take there for us with her. And, and those are the kinds of things that we're thinking about, you know, just in general, I think kind of what you're getting at here. Those are the kinds of things we're thinking about on a regular basis as it relates to these horses, um, you know, where, where best to put them to win, but also you know, if we run in a race and lose two conditions, you know, what's the impact of that, you know, um, longer term, you got to factor that in as well. So potentially there for her. I love hearing the thought process though. It's stuff that as horse players, we don't typically, most of us don't even think about when, what it means when a horse ends up in a given spot. And it's the kind of chatter we're going to have more of in uh, the coming weeks and months with you as well. I mean, probably put your feet to the fire soon, Matt, and make you do some handicapping on here. If you, if you want to farm it out to one of your team members we'll let you do that but based on how you look at these spots and talk about things i think you'd do a pretty good job yourself well the, the first half of my saratoga meet would would tell an alternative story to that but um i did i did pretty good the last week and a half so hopefully that's uh indicative of kind of what the trend's going to be moving forward so ha- happy to do it hopefully uh hopefully i stick with the 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 end of the meet type of uh type of a trend versus uh what was happening earlier on in the summer Matt, good stuff. We'll talk soon, my friend. All right. Thank you. Next up on the show, happy to bring in one of the people I always like to talk to when it comes to all things New York racing, because he follows it as close as anybody and has a great opinion. As you know already, if you spend any time reading his daily analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, welcome to the show, Nick Tamara. Hello, Pete. How are you? Glad to uh, be with you. Talk a little Belmont at Aqueduct action. I think you've settled on a name that's, that might be a little more amusing than Belmont at Aqueduct for this, though. I'm going with the Royal Aqueduct meet. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I don't, you know, maybe they could just put R-A in the PPs. Are they, serious question, is it actually going to be B-A-Q in the PPs when we see the running lines for this? It, it is going to be B-A-Q, yeah. New, new track code, which I know has been met with a lot of, consternation from the uh, databasers and, and heavy volume data players um it is going to look a little odd I, I don't i don't really know why that had to be done i think that there's some thought process that if the word belmont 
is inserted in the name, it might help for handle purposes. I don't know. That's uh, it's a little little annoying for people who do keep up with with a lot of data because you know now your databases change with the different info in there. So it's yeah. a little, yeah, a little a little surprising. You have to figure out a way to merge it. I get it. I and I think like on the TV screen and for you know America's Day at the races purposes, it makes sense. But at that more granular level of the PPs, I would tend to have a lot of sympathy for the point of view that it might be a bit more trouble than it's worth. But what's sounds like what's done is done as far as that goes. But key question for me, Nick, and this is what I really wanted to bring you on here to talk about, how are your preparations different for Belmonted Aqueduct, Royal Aqueduct, whatever we're going to call it, than they would have been for the traditional Belmont fall meet? Um, you know, I think that'll that'll sort of go day by day. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've always looked forward to at Belmont in the fall are two-year-old races at a mile. And I think we're going to see a, you know, obviously we'll see a number of those. It's a little different than it was in years past because some of these two-year-olds are being brought along so much more slowly or so much more conservatively because there aren't really opportunities to earn Kentucky Derby points until a little bit later and so we may not see as many of them early on. You know, I remember uh, over the years we saw some really nice two-year-olds early in the Belmont fall meet. And um, and so that's a little different. But having the one-turn mile obviously is a is a big deal. You know, as far as the, the preparation goes, handling the differences in the turf courses I think is very important. Obviously, the majority of the races are going to be run on the turf. These aqueduct turf courses are uh, – probably as, as pristine as any in New York because they're so they're just used so infrequently. Right. right. I think Dave Grenning's article said there were 37 turf races run at Aqueduct in April and, um, and hell will have run 37 turf races by the end of September between tomorrow and, and when the, and the end of the month. So that'll be an interesting angle as well. Um, so preparing a little bit for those and then really just making sure that that your Saratoga work is done. You know, if there were days where you might have been a little uh, skeptical on what may have happened bias wise and you're looking for another opinion, I can't encourage people enough to go look at the track trends on the Naira website. Um, Andy Serling puts a lot of work into those and obviously is a pretty astute race watcher. So if you think that there may have been a day where we could have been dealing with a bad inside or a um, you know, a day where it was preferable to be on the hedge, on the inner turf. He's got all that info in there. So go and review that too. And that'll just help you really be able to handicap these races a little bit quicker. The other thing I won't deny, and I'm already done with the first day's card, is uh, these races are a little bit easier to handicap than Saratoga was, which is nice. It's good to be at a at a place where we can can get a, you know, a little, little quicker run through some of them than, than the Saratoga races take. Is that because of typically horses coming from fewer places? Is that what tends to take more time or is it more about field size? What are the factors that go into that for you? Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, tomorrow we've got, I think, four New York red races. So, I mean, those horses are not coming from, from many different places. And quite honestly, Pete, the majority of the horses running are coming from Saratoga anyway. Right. So we've seen them, you know, pretty, pretty frequently. We've seen them somewhat recently as well. And uh, yeah, it just ends up being a little easier for, for those purposes. But no, we're not getting a high volume of Kentucky shippers plus maybe some mid-Atlantics, at least not on the first card. We will as the meet goes on, of course. But um, it did. And it, it, it's, there's only eight flat races on Thursday as well. So the two uh, steeplechase races, both of which feature some really top-notch uh, hurdlers, but um, they obviously don't require quite as much work either. 
grade one action in the Lonesome Glory, which I, I'm trying to think. I don't think I'm going to be quite up at Woodbine yet. I don't know. I don't know how I'll be uh, paying attention to those. But that that is kind of fun having uh, jump racing back at the Big A for the first time in a minute or two, to say the least. I think that was a good shout for the track trends from Saratoga. There definitely were some days where you know, as we typically see sometimes with rail movement, where you'll see a good inside on the turf. I felt like generally the dirt course was fair with some days, maybe a little bit more than others, notably where the very inside wasn't good, but it feels like the react that that's such a common track profile in the USA now that the riders really react to it. And I don't personally, Nick, I'm not finding quite as many bet backs, even on days where I suspect the rail might not be that good. Would you agree with that assessment generally? Yeah, I think so. It, it, it's, we do get, and I, I mean, anecdotally, I feel like it might have something to do with safety measures that have become more prevalent as time has gone by. And, and it feels like, yeah, we might see a, a dead rail. But again, the, the counter argument that you're sort of alluding to is, well, so few horses actually get on the rail. You know, they all, all the riders sort of stay a half path to a path off. And it's very rare that a horse really does sit on the inside the entire way. I think the day that sticks out above all as far as dead rails go is um, Sunday, August 14th. I think we were dealing with a particularly bad inside. There were a couple of horses. There was a Chad Brown trainee late in the card that that dove to the inside, and it was one of those where it was like, oh, no, what are you doing? And, I mean, he just spun his wheels the whole way down the stretch. So that was, you know, that was a good example. I'll find that horse's name, and we can put it. I'll find it as, actually as we're talking. But, uh, yeah, I think for the most part it was pretty fair. There was actually, ironically, the day before, it felt like it was advantageous to be inside on the 13th of August, and that was the first time. That was also a day where there was a pretty pronounced speed bias. It was very, very hard to make up an appreciable amount of ground. That being said, it's generally pretty hard to make up ground at Saratoga. Aqueduct, to me, on the main track plays very, very fair. We see over the winter a fair share of bad rails, um, we have also gone through some periods of extreme weather where the, the inside has been very strong. That generally does not happen outside of the last two years. It's happened in February. So I, th I think when we've really been dealing with extreme weather, um, you've seen something like that happen. As far as the track profile conversation goes, one thing I would say as well is that the outer turf, which is in desperate need of a name like Mellon or Widener, but the outer turf, when the rail comes down, the inside's been very, very good. And so we'll see if that happens. Um, it's at 24 feet the first, uh, at least first couple of days. So I'm sure they're planning on taking it down to zero shortly thereafter. That, those are the only ones that really stick out as far as anything track profile wise. I think that you could make a, have an opinion about early on. The, the Harvey Pack turf course, perhaps we, there was a press release when, when Harvey passed away about some sort of appropriate honoring of the man. And it's, it's, it's been a little slow to come to fruition. It's time for me to start chirping. I think on these airwaves about the need to, uh, for, for the, for the powers that be over there to, to make good on that. Uh, I, I think he'd appreciate, he loved his turf racing. That would be, would, would be a not, not inappropriate moniker. Very good thought. I think in terms of, you know, again, getting your brushing up those Saratoga notes and just paying really close attention. I mean, I wish it was easier to to give, you know, straightforward answers about exactly what we can expect in terms of in terms of track profile. What about in terms of 
the other ways that you approach things? Any barns in particular you're looking to start off hot or, or maybe ran through a few too many conditions at Saratoga and you expect to start off cold or anybody rider-wise you're paying particular attention to? I mean, I think uh, Chad Brown's dominance downstate just really needs no explanation or no great bit of attention. His barn was so good at Belmont, it almost made you wonder how ready for Saratoga he'd be, and he still won the title. And he just has a, an overwhelming number of horses that are going to be ready to run. So I would expect him to be very formidable. Christophe Clement looks like he might be uh, spreading out some of his horses a little bit more. He certainly ran two of his good horses at Kentucky Downs over the weekend, but he's got a couple of two-year-olds entered on, on opening day um, in a, in a uh, maiden race late on the card. So I think he'll be he'll be pretty well represented. We should see all the principals in the riding colony until Keeneland opens, at which point uh, Flavian Pratt and Joel Rosario will probably pretty regularly go down there. So it'll be interesting to see some of the you know, some of the top class riders being at Aqueduct full time. You know, they really aren't generally in the spring because some are still at Keeneland on their way back from Florida, and they don't really all converge on the, on the New York circuit again until after the Derby. So, yeah, we'll see, regularly see both Ortiz's and Rosario and Johnny Velasquez and Flavian Pratt until we get to the early part of October, I would imagine. You know, I think one of the things you and I touched on uh, offline and talking about what we could discuss, and maybe it was the next topic, and so I'll just keep you from having to even talk about um, is going to be some of the distance, the distance changes, the configuration changes on some of the stakes races. And really the one that sticks out the most to me is going to be the Woodward because, you know, the, uh, life is good was mentioned for the Woodward immediately after the Whitney and you know, at Belmont, the Woodward would have been a one turn race. Right. Um, some of us still think that life is good when push comes to shove might actually be at his best at a one turn configuration. And now it's a two turn race. And so I'm sure his connections are probably, they're probably pleased because it requires him to, to stay around two turns. It enables him to stay around two turns, I should say. So that's probably a better thing than not. Um, you're also going to have a race like the Joe Hurst Turf Classic go around three turns instead of two. There is no such thing as a three-turn race at Belmont unless we're talking about the Belmont Gold Cup. Um, so you'll see a little change there. Interestingly, as you and I talked about on the recap show, I think that Gufo is at his best around three turns, but he ran at Kentucky Downs last week and is likely to just be trained up to the Breeders' Cup. But that'll change things for a few horses. They'll run that on the inner turf where a mile and a half is, uh, is a possibility. It is not on the outer turf. And then obviously the only turf sprint trip that we're going to get is at six furlongs. So we'll see the uh, same configuration, obviously, same layout as Belmont as far as the, the Belmont turf sprint uh, invitational goes, which will take place in October. Uh, of course, at Aqueduct, uh, being a six furlong race on the turf. So those are those are the main uh, main ones I think you would point to. Obviously, no one turn mile in a sixteenth like we would see at, at Belmont. We really don't get any one turn mile in an eighth races anymore much at all, if if not for just some graded stake races. So largely, we'll see a lot of the same distances. We'll see some of the two turn mile in an eighth races. The Frisette and the Champagne will be at a mile just as they are at Belmont. So I don't think things will change very much as far as that goes, but you're also going to need to be uh, on your, and, and you know, actually this is a, this is, this is a good question and I should look because the PPs are right here. So is the, as far as, okay. So the DRF stats are treating it as if it's aqueduct. Okay. So for example, if you, yeah, I was going to say, you might want to look for horses that have been good on the, on the aqueduct turf course and or aqueduct main track in the past and so it is treating them as uh, 
as Aqueduct. So that's that's a good thing. I would, that would just make for a little bit more confusion. Yeah, for sure. And I would say in my brain on the turf, Aqueduct, I don't know why, but it feels like almost more than Saratoga or uh, Belmont. And this is purely anecdotal, and maybe we'll run some numbers on this in the next segment of the show. But I feel like it's a little bit more horse for coursey. I don't know if that's down to the spring and fall ground. You know, there could be things, there could be other things giving me that impression that don't actually have anything to do with the with the course configuration. But yeah, I think it's that's unquestionably a good thing that that that, that data is going to be easy to parse. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I don't I don't really know if I feel like I've ever gotten a particularly good handle on the outer turf because there's just such little racing on it. You know, there's just not much that goes on. And I'm glad they're starting with the rail out because there has been such a pronounced rail bias when it, racing has come to Aqueduct in the past. And so that's the thing that just really, really throws you off. So um, I'm, I'm going to keep probably a better eye on it now, given that we're going to have roughly two and a half months of turf racing at Aqueduct before uh, the winter meet starts. Because the, the inner turf, which you know, obviously traditionally has been the turf, um, I've always considered it to be a pretty fair surface. There are times where it is definitely a, a surface over which if you use the, the you know, enterprising and aggressive tactics of going out and getting the lead and you're able to get that breather, I think you can become very dangerous. One thing I've always noticed about the Aqueduct Turf Course, the inner turf, is that you will very frequently see considerably slower second quarters than first quarters on that course. And that has a lot to do with the fact that some of the run-ups are relatively, um, relatively long on the turf. And so you'll get a quicker first quarter and you'll see them really back it down in the second quarter. And those kind of horses become dangerous as far as potentially going wire to wire. So I don't think you would, should go into it with any preconceived notions, but certainly be apprised of, uh, of the real benefit of having speed on the inner turf couple of little potential takeaways so far that I just want to underline that we talked about earlier in the conversation. Certainly that life is good fact of the two turns. I think it's huge for a horse where there's still such a debate potentially over which Breeders Cup race he's going to go in. And as I said to Matt Kater earlier in the show, Nick, I'm hoping from a fan point of view that he just runs off the screen and is super duper impressive. And we get that showdown in the classic even more so than if it was a one turn race. I feel like if he underperforms at all, it'll be the excuse to, to cut back to the mile. And, you know, I don't think that's what as the racing fan in you certainly, and probably the gambler too would rather see him show up for the big dance. So I think this race takes on more significance at Aqueduct than it would have at Belmont. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, given what happened with Flightline, we were probably all always hanging on Life is Good's final performance before the Breeders' Cup. Um, and, and like you, I'm hoping it is just a a complete blowout, right? I, I want him to look as good <laughs> as possible going into the Breeders' Cup Classic because, you know, as, as, as great as Flightline clearly is, I don't want all of us to view the Breeders' Cup Classic result as a fait accompli. And, and that's just not – and some of us won't because we just don't – you know, I, I refuse to concede races to horses ahead of time. But, um, yeah, I, I want to see everybody really coming in with their best. And, and so hopefully we get life as good's best because we, we know that when he has been on his game, it has been a very, very impressive. And he's certainly a, a generational type of talent. Yeah, it's, that's certainly shaping up to be one of the races of the meet. Another thing you said for players who are very 
connection oriented. I do think having all that top talent in might means that names that you're this is master of the obvious, I suppose, but I think it's worth saying names that you might typically expect to be higher in the jockey standings at Aqueduct specifically spring or fall you're going to probably see a little bit further down with some of those top names in town. And it doesn't mean they're not riding well. It, it means that there's more competition. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in the winter, the guys at the top you're going to see are Liscano, Carmouche, McCarthy, Franco, Davis. And, you know, those guys will probably all be in the top 10 or 12, but you're going to also see Ortiz, Ortiz, um, Saez, Rosario, those types of names, Pratt. Um, which, yeah, it, it's going to look more – it's really going to look like Belmont just being conducted at the Big A, no pun right. intended. I mean, as um, the name suggests. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, you know, I, I hope um, from a fan standpoint that it gives some of the people in New York an opportunity to go to the track um, because Aqueduct is still a, a fun place to go and, a, and a, actually a really great place to watch races from a live standpoint because there are – the places where you can sit and watch races, the, the view – the view is great. I mean, there's no yeah. nothing. It's a totally unencumbered view. Equestris is actually a really nice trackside restaurant. It's probably the best trackside restaurant of any of the three facilities in New York. And <clears throat> I mean, anybody who who says who thinks that I'm out of my mind, who likes the turf terrace at Saratoga, I don't. You know, I don't prefer to dine with the person behind me, but <laughs> you just certainly get the opportunity to in the turf terrace. And when you're when you <laughs> when you have my uh, composition, you're not looking for tables that are packed against each other it's a little but, tight it's a little it's tight in there a little um, tight, yeah. yeah and i think you make an excellent point about the viewing actually and i was vowing in the previous segment to to get out there more it's one of these weird little bit of a you can't get there from here thing from where i am in, in brooklyn to there but obviously with all this good racing happening out there we're going to make it uh, we're going to make it much more of a priority um this time around and that that, that that's an excellent point about the sight lines did you if you did this already, I'll apologize and maybe even cut it out. But did you dig up the name of that Chad, of course, that you felt like was maybe compromised? Uh, I have not. I will do that right now while we're talking, um, because that was definitely one of the days where you wanted to to lose a little bit of ground. And it was beneficial. A Pletcher horse won the race. I'm trying to think who else was on the card. But, um, yeah, that was a day that I also highlighted July 31st as a day where I thought it was beneficial to uh, to stay off the rail. And I was remembered so when Hoist the Gold came back and ran a good uh, a good second in his next start at a big price. And he was one of the horses that I identified as uh, one that benefited or that was hurt by being down on the inside. I do think also there was some – the inner turf in the past when the rail has come down has been very, very kind – to uh, horses that were on the inside. And I don't think that was the case quite as much this year. I do think there was a little bit of a, uh, there was some help profile wise on uh, being inside. I, I also think the riders were a little bit more hip to it this year. And I think the discussion of it, I mean, I know that Irad Ortiz Jr. is not only the best jockey in the world, but um, he was really going out of his way to, to put his mounts on the inside. And, um, and that, that became clear really as the meet went on. So that's especially those couple of weeks where the rail was down. The date that I'm talking about is August 7th. It was the Sunday, the day after the Whitney. And the horse's name that I am referring to is Empire Hope. Okay. He was, she made a big move on the inside in the eighth and ended up flattening out after being inside. This was a day where 
you definitely wanted to be a little more on the outside. So one name to keep in mind. We'll see where Chad runs her next because she's uh, likely to win. Makes sense to me. And I think that there's no better gauge of what the track was really doing that day than if you do the kind of work that Nick's describing and you just follow the runbacks and you, and you see. And it's not necessarily whether they win or lose, but look at the figure they ran this day as opposed to the day where you thought they were compromised as opposed to the day before. And you'll see definite trends emerging. Uh, Andy's track trends on the Naira site, definitely a great place to go for info. Two other things I'll mention that I've found some signal in and found useful. Don't always agree. They're just data points, but um, the racingflow.com figures that our friend uh, Jake Jacobs puts out, they're worth a look. And I think that the Timeform US algorithm that also manages, uh, doesn't manage, it measures the amount of closing that should happen in a race. That's worth paying attention to as well if you're a Timeform US person. So and then, of course, or or you could just do what uh, what Nick's talking about and like do the work yourself. But hey, if you want some if you want some help, those are three potential sources for bias info. And obviously, that doesn't just apply to the Belmont at Aqueduct meet, but uh, racing nationwide. Anything else you think we want to get out here for the people uh, in terms of previewing this Belmont at Aqueduct meet, or should we uh, move on to the next segment, Nick? No, I think any any place where you can work smart rather than hard, like you're alluding to, is always a good thing. And there's a lot of data out there. But of course, no, no substitute in the end, in my opinion, for sitting and watching races and taking notes and identifying things that you want to try and use to your advantage in the future. Love it. Nick Tamaro, we will be looking for your daily analysis of Aqueduct over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And we're going to be bugging you to be back on these airwaves very soon. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Last but not least, for a look at Belmont at Aqueduct by the numbers, we bring in Race Lens Power user Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Doing great. Uh, interesting transition from uh, Saratoga to uh, to Aqueduct. I'm going with the uh, Nick Tamaro name, which I like a lot better, which is the, <laughs> ro- the Royal Aqueduct meet is what we're, uh, we're getting into. Royal Aqueduct, indeed. I asked Nick this very question. I'll bring it back for you. How are your preparations changing for this meet? Not much. I mean, again, it's it's um, you know it's going to be Aqueduct for a while, but uh, I think we have uh, you know if you look at when the turf courses are up and running, um, you know we've got some good fields, got full fields. The cards seem to be a bit better, um, but I don't really see much difference. You just have to remind yourself it's not Belmont, right? I mean, it sounds simple, but. Um, to get out of the mindset of maybe some some quirky angles that I would look at, especially in turf racing at Belmont, doesn't necessarily present itself at uh, at Aqueduct. So you know, again, nothing, no major changes for me. It's just reminding yourself, uh, going to be at the Big A for a while. Right, that makes sense. But that's a good point you make about some of the key differences. And I think the turf course is an interesting place to start. Generally speaking, how do you differently approach turf races at Aqueduct than you do at Belmont? Well, I would say looking at, you know, looking at the numbers in terms of like post positions and, you know, things like that, there's really nothing that's definable or jumps out to me. Um, so it, it seems to be, you know, normal, you know, a normal result, you know, whether it's, you know, on the rail, whether it's post outside, obviously you want to be off the rail somewhere in the middle of the pack at Aqueduct, no matter, you know, especially at a mile and 16th. But in comparison to Belmont, Pete, that where we've talked about this a lot of kind of those quirky shoots they have can really play havoc on horses on the inside versus horse on the outside. A lot of those speed horses might get pinched on the inside when you come out of that shoot. Don't really have that here. So I would say that's one big difference is it's more of a 
a normal, fair, uh, uh, you know, running of these turf races at Aqueduct versus you might have some differences and, and some ways to look at it at, uh, at Belmont. That makes sense to me. I've always had the pet theory, and I don't know if there's really a way to look at this in data, that Aqueduct is a bit more of a horse for course track than most other turf courses in general. Do you have any personal opinion on whether that hypothesis might have any validity and is there a way to look at it through data? Yeah, it's one of those things where like I, I thought that was the case, but like if you if you run if you run numbers on this, it doesn't really show anything that's off the charts in terms of, of positivity. So I think it's a, a little bit normalized, Pete, um, in terms of that horse for course kind of angle. Um, like one track that jumps into my mind is, is, uh, Golden Gate. Like it just off the charts when you look at a horse for course angle there. Uh, but not as prevalent, uh, not as prevalent, Pete, as I, I thought, I thought it would be. So it's, it's, it's your kind of mundane, like 16% wins and, you know, negative 12% ROI kind of, kind of stat. Um, so no real big difference there. Um, I would say some differences that I do see is looking at more on, on the pace side, it, when both on turf and dirt, you start to get some, some numbers that uh, might make you look at horses a little bit different. Let's go over some of those then, some of the things at Aqueduct that you have found to be useful pointers over the years that folks should be keeping in mind as we approach this meet. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like to do is just look at kind of the polar opposites of, of projected pace, you know, horses that you know are projected speed versus horses that you know, have, uh, you know, a top late pace figure, you know, uh, horses coming off the pace. Um, and for projected speed, I look at horses when you, when you go back and look horses that are, are in the lead, uh, at first call. And, you know, if you look at, you know, you look at turf routes as well as you look at uh, turf sprints, you want to be on the front end. Um, you know, if you look at last year's meet at Aqueduct turf routes projected on the lead out of 71 starts, you know, 25% winners, 60% uh, in the money in a positive 77% ROI, um, even over the five-year mark. So if you do a sample of 321 races, uh, you know, the, the win percentage comes down a little bit to 19%, but it still holds a, a positive 4% ROI. So, you know, on the lead, when you're, when you're on the, uh, when you're routing at, uh, at Aqueduct, uh, certainly makes sense to look at the, the front end speed. Now, I don't know if that's a function of the turf course or a function of the colony or a little bit of the bo- a little bit of both there, Pete, but uh, certainly favoring the uh, the front end speed. And, you know, it's something that has changed a bit when you look at turf sprinters. You know, if you look at last meet, uh, 18% winners out of 40 starts, uh, but had a, had a positive, strong positive ROI of 47%. Um, if you look at it and the largest sample I can find on a five-year uh, a sample of 186 races, you know, the ROI drops to negative 23% and just 8% winners. So I found that to be interesting is that front end speed and, and turf sprints seeming, seeming to be doing a lot better uh, as of recent versus, uh, versus the historic. We do have the new turf course at Aqueduct and we don't have a ton of data over it. In fact, we have precious little, but is there anything you've seen from that so far that has you thinking there might be signal in it? Not really. And again, I'll never just throw a number out there just because I just, when you look, it just, there's not enough of a sample, especially with something like that. Like, you know, again, I, I don't shy away from a small sample. I think that's where you find some value, but there's not, there's not enough there where I would, I would lean a play towards looking at that particular course specifically. I would say after this meet, given the large sample size, we're probably going to have Pete, I think we're going to have uh, some good data to look at uh, after, after we're done, or even, you know, kind of in the middle to take a look to see where we're at. Any other 
particularly actionable trends in regarding post-position pace connections that you've seen looking at your stuff? Yeah, going over to the dirt, I found this interesting. And um, you know, if you looked at dirt routes last year, again, same idea, projected on the lead. Um, you know, out of 180 starts, uh, you've got 20% winners, uh, 42% in the money, uh, and, and a negative 7% ROI. So, you know, again, not not the greatest in terms of uh, a stat, you know, being on the front end. But here's the thing, Pete, if you look at it of the of the last uh, half of, of last year's meet, right? So if you look at it from kind of splitting it in, in, the, in the latter half, um, you know, out of 60 starts, you know, 30% winners and a positive 7% ROI. So it seemed to have changed. That's interesting. Yeah. And what I like about with stats too, is you can dig into the charts that are associated with that, with that angle. And I also noticed too, it's not showing up in the number, but I also noticed too, a lot of, you know, what you consider to be kind of cheap speed or hopeless long shots that are sticking around or were sticking around in the number or hitting the super. So for me, that tells me that that course tight, certainly tightened up and it's something you definitely want to watch to see how uh, front end speed is doing on, on dirt routes, as well as if you look at, at dirt sprints, right? So if you look at on, on the sprinting side, again, a good sample here of, you know, 291 starts, 18% uh, winners with a negative 21% ROI. Same idea if you look at the second half of that meet, jumps up to 38% winners out of 86 starts and a positive 18% ROI. So both on the dirt, when you're looking at uh, routes and sprints, uh, front end speed certainly did a lot better towards the end of the meet and, and certainly something I want to pay attention to to see if that continues uh, throughout this meet as well. Sounds like mostly, for the most part, we're going in with the attitude as we typically have. You got to be nimble, look for trends. It doesn't seem like there's anything particularly overwhelming that you're going to be baking into the cake as far as uh, these angles go for, for starters. No, I, I would say one thing that did jump out to me, if you can find a horse, uh, you know, in these turf routes, I know it seems pretty obvious, but again, I think it's nice to have this as an angle built. Well, you know, this will highlight and, and light up for me when I look at the card is in turf routes, looking at horses that have both the best early and late pace figures. And if you looked at it last meet, it was pretty nice. You know, 32 starts, 43% winners, 71% of them in the, in the, uh, in the money and a positive 56% uh, ROI. So uh, certainly want to look at those horses that not only can have that natural speed to get to the front end, but, but have a nice, uh, nice big uh, late kick uh, late. That one tells me more than anything else, like the, something about the specifics of the numbers that Racelens puts out and their efficacy and maybe those numbers not always being the ones that the public is is looking at. Right. Because on its face, it's such an obvious thing. But the fact that the numbers are that good tells me that, you know, something about that tool, particularly useful um, at Aqueduct. I think it's no coincidence that we haven't talked about human connections because one thing about Belmont at Aqueduct, as we've noted elsewhere in the show, is it's going to be a very different group of jockeys and trainers than we're used to seeing at this stage of the year at Aqueduct. Normally, Aqueduct, uh, there, there's other stuff um, going on, but especially early in the meet before Keeneland starts, you're going to have a, a very different colony. But that said, what are you seeing in your numbers as far as a trainer and, and jockey stats? Anybody in particular we should be paying attention to? Um, I mean, you look at a guy like Rosario does tremendously well on the turf. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that, that really jumps off the page. Uh, Manny Franco as well um, on, on uh, 
both dirt uh, dirt routes and dirt sprints. Um, again, he kind of plays into it. the latter half of that card. He showed up quite a bit as being the uh, the jockey of choice, uh, pressing on the front end. Um, I'm not sure if uh, if uh, Romero Mirage is going to show up again, but he has insane numbers, hitting at close to a 60% clip on horses that are uh, on the front end uh, in in, uh, in uh, dirt uh, dirt routes. Uh, again, he, I'm not really sure what uh, what to expect there from him, but and that's the confusion, right? So that's something I'm not necessarily going to lean too heavily on. I want to see how this plays out. Other options, you know, a guy like Joel might get pulled in, in a lot of different directions, so the sample size might be low. Uh, but I would say Rosario certainly on on the turf, and uh, but but Manny Manny Franco, especially in horses that that fall in line with that stat of being on the front end early, um, you know, I, I look at that as the numbers helping me handicap in ten. Kind of similar to that uh, that Daisuke uh, stat that we had chatted about, uh, Pete. You know, I look for for numbers to tell me intent on, on what they expect this horse to do, and uh, you know, Manny uh, did did extremely well towards the latter end of the car, a latter end of the meet uh, last time at Aqueduct. So I'll be paying attention to that. That'll be a really interesting one to follow because he's exactly the kind of jockey I could see getting fewer opportunities at Belmont at Aqueduct than he's gotten in the later part of that Aqueduct meet in that exact sample you're looking at. But we know he's got the skills, so if he gets the opportunities, I don't see any reason why the results will be different. And maybe he'll even end up getting better prices with the presence of some extra jockeys. The other thing is, though, maybe he won't have the same opportunities. We are not going to know until we get into this meet. And throughout the meet, we're going to have you back on in some of our Belmont at Aqueduct segments, and we can update these numbers and talk about the trends after we have a few weeks of racing. We just have less than a minute left, Matt. But was there anything else in your research you found that uh, you wanted to share with the listeners today? Yeah, there's one thing I'll, I'll throw out there. Uh, we've mentioned this before of the true odds function of part of being Raceland, so it's a separate kind of AI um, uh, setup they have within. You can actually get this specifically. So you can you can get this in the Naira store. You can get this through Equibase. Um, you know, it's literally just a, a few bucks to get kind of the AI idea um, on the Raceland side. But you can actually run the true odds success in terms of how that AI system does in, in, in races. And what I, what you can do is, and what I did is I ran an angle that said, okay, if true odds gives a horse 50% win, win, a win chance, 50% chance of winning or more races specifically at aqueduct and uh, did pretty well. I mean, 39, 39 horses hit the stat 41% winners, 68% in the money in a positive 43% ROI. So tells me that, you know, the, the, uh, that, you know, if you want another alternative or another, another opinion by strictly by the numbers, that true odds function seems to be doing pretty well, both on the win end, but the 43% ROI tells me that they're not just picking one to five favorites. You're getting some value there as well, Pete. That is another interesting way to potentially use that tool that can help us at this development at aqueduct meet. And, uh, I'm sure that one works at other tracks as well. Matt, we're going to have you back very soon. We appreciate your time today. I want to thank all the guests on today's show and our sponsors over at Adelphi Racing Club. Really fun working with them, being a part of the team. To learn more, go to AdelphiRacing.com. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your Belmont and Aqueduct photos. <laughs> <laughs>